wonderful worship. Let's give God a clap, eh? Yeah. And I think we should give the worship team a clap too, eh? And while we're clapping, I think we should give the uh, youth leaders a great clap. 26 people, youth to about 46, I think. Something like that. Brilliant. Just brilliant. I've got a, there's a whistle there too. That echoey bit. It's all good. Thanks, Dave. No worries. I'll just get things set up here a little bit. You have no idea, do you? <laughs> and that's okay. You'll find out later. Righto. What are we going to learn today? What's God going to say to you? And what are you going to do? Last week, Steve said, and I'll put it up on the screen, God called Hosea as a prophet to the northern kingdom at the close of the reign of their last powerful king. And Hosea pled with the people for 40 years before the northern kingdom of Israel went into exile to Assyria in 722 BC. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come into your word today, Father, we just uh, reminded this morning too of coming around your table of communion that we just need to receive Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that, that, um, that you are there for us each and every day. Father, we thank you that nothing is impossible either through you. Lord, as we come into your word, we just ask, Lord, that as we read it, as we explore it, Father, that the impossible will become possible through our love for you and for your love for us. Father, help us to be obedient to you in our walk and to be more like Jesus as we do life from day to day. Amen. So today's message is entitled The 722 BC Application. So keep that in mind. That's where we're going today, 722 BC. Our passage this morning is a big picture passage, if you like, which we will get to in due course. So I'm going to focus this morning on big picture points. I'm working under the assumption that you won't need the verses explained in depth today. If anything, your hardest decision today will be what you think you can absorb. You're probably thinking, crikey where we're going to go today. All right, the direction I'm going today is simply this. What happened to Israel and what is the application for us? That's the question. I'll give an overview of the history of Israel with some key lowlights. I'll bring in the testimony of prophets Amos and Hosea to explain that God's judgment against Israel wasn't solely based on their religious failures. However, their religious failures did lead them into catastrophic societal sin. I think you will hear an echo today in your head, such as Australia or the world is on the same path as Israel was back in 722 BC. But we must remember that God had a unique relationship with Israel that he does not have with Australia or the rest of the world. God has not made a covenant with Australia. He made a covenant with Christians through his son Jesus. The ills in Australia are not God punishing institutional Australia, but rather God allowing us to suffer the expected consequence for sinful actions. Here's where I believe the 722 BC application, 
as I call the message today, can be instructive. Basically, seeing where and how Israel fell and committing to keeping you, your family and our church family and the best we can our community from making those kinds of mistakes. So let's get started. First question I have today, what warnings do you remember getting as a child or as a young adult? There are a bunch that still stick with me. Things like look both ways before crossing the street. Never run with scissors. Who's had that one? Never pass a knife blade first. I remember at a youth event once we gave out fancy lollipops, you know, the ones with the stick on the end. And I chimed in with, don't run with a lollipop in your mouth. And I thought, I have become my parents. (laughs) However, heeding warnings like those have served me well. But what what about the warnings uh, you didn't listen to? Going to throw a couple up on the screen, and I'm sure you can pick a warning that has not followed in the two examples that are up there. <laughs> oh dear. I'm thankful that some kids bounce. But, but you can. On oh, the truck, yeah, well, yes. There were some warnings there that I don't think they listened to at some point. So my question is how about you? What warnings do you remember from growing up? And possibly more to the point, what warnings do you remember ignoring? And how did that turn out? I just want to say that warnings aren't just for kids. For example, in many workplaces, we have some sort of person in a role who is responsible for making sure that employees don't ignore the safety rules. The point? These rules are often there for our good, to protect us. When we ignore them, we are taking a terrible risk. Israel ignored God's warnings pretty much from the beginning and it resulted in disaster. 722 BC. So how did the Israelites get here? Remember, big picture this morning. The author of the book of Kings, where we find ourselves this morning, gives us a pretty good retrospective of what went wrong to Israel, in Israel. So I'm just going to give you a brief contextual overview of key events in this path toward destruction. So, what happened? (laughs) I might go with that, David. What happened? How's that? Good? Okay. What happened? A bad first step happened. That's what happened. After King Solomon's death, the nation of Israel divided into two kingdoms. North equals Israel, south equals Judah. Because Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was a mess. And the north rebelled behind army leader Jeroboam. So to solidify his rule in this bad first step, Jeroboam built two rival temples at Bethel and Dan, setting up idols and encouraging the Israelites to worship them. Jeroboam never... fully unified the north, and his son Nabad was assassinated by a usurper named Bashar. Bashar made an alliance with the king of Aram, enabling him to focus on Judah, conquering a number of Judean cities before king of Asa of Judah bribed Aram into breaking the alliance and attacking Israel. You're not going to be able to keep up with me here, so just let this sort of sink through. 
This diminished Bashar's credibility and his son Elah was assassinated in another coup that ended with the palace destroyed and military commander Omri on the throne. Omri moved the capital to Samaria and established a powerful military economy by allying with Tyre. He married his son Ahab to Phoenician princess Jezebel, you've heard that name, and ending the war with Judah. This enabled him to take control of his borders with Arab and Moab. And his son Ahab was able to extend that influence even further, even establishing an alliance with Aram to resist the growing power of Assyria. But Ahab's willingness to indulge Jezebel's Baalism drew the attention of two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Remember those guys? Yeah. Who who stood for Yahweh in an increasingly godless society. Mount Carmel event. You probably know that one. Elisha anointed military commanders Hazael as king of Aram and Jehu as king of Israel, and both kings brought down Ahab's entire family. Stuff's going on, as you can hear. Jehu, well, he faced the army of Hazrael. No, Hazael. I get these names all all over the place. Of Aram, and survived by bribing Assyria. There's a lot of bribing and assassinations going on to attack Aram from behind. That didn't work for long, and when Hazael pushed back the Assyrians, he conquered Jehu's son, Jehoaz and made Israel a vassal state. Oh, I'm running out of breath here. When Assyria rebuilt its army, it attacked Aram with a vengeance, enabling Jehoah's son, Joash, to rebel and recapture the territory. Lost to Aram. Joash also sacked Jerusalem, looting the temple. Whew. Then Joash's son, Jeroboam II, led Israel to its greatest position. He conquered wide territory around Israel, plundering his way to exorbitant wealth. This led directly to the other two prophets God sent to Israel. You've heard of these guys, Amos and Hosea. More about them in a minute. Israel had become woefully corrupt and the death of Jeroboam was a tipping point. Jeroboam's son, Zechariah, he was then assassinated by Shalom, who was assassinated by Menahem. It goes on, doesn't it? Politics, Rosalind. Yeah, yeah, hate it, yeah. This came to a humiliating end. Menahem stayed in power by bribing the Assyrians and his son Pekiah was assassinated by Pekah, I think, who was assassinated by Hoshea. By Hoshea's reign, most of Israel had been captured by Assyria and Hoshea's last-ditch alliance with Egypt resulted in the complete destruction of Samaria. So, summary. Good. Thank you, Miles. Israel was ruled by 19 kings, every one of them bad, in the sense of ignoring the covenant and worshipping false gods. They were born in rebellion and they lived in rebellion. Aram and Assyria at this time, during all of this, never thought they were doing God's will by conquering Israel, can I say. They believed they were acting in their own best interests and not being Yahweh's errand boys. God used nations to bring about his judgement by their own free actions. He could have intervened and defended Israel as he had in the days of Elijah and Elisha, but he did not. No doubt Israel was an attractive target for the Assyrians. It was just that that was the lever God pulled to bring about his justice. So, righto, still with me? Yeah? Okay. Repeat all that? No, no. (laughs) Righto. The arguments of Amos and Hosea. The two books of Amos and Hosea provide a clear 
description of how far Israel had fallen into depravity. First one, Amos. Amos is a tour de force against the injustice that had filled Israel. God expects his people to act with justice and righteousness, that they take care of the poor and vulnerable. Martin Luther King cited Amos 5.24 in his I Have a Dream speech. Amos preached during the height of Jeroboam II when Israel experienced its greatest wealth and not coincidentally its greatest corruption. You know what? There is not much hope in the book of Amos. Just judgment. That's because he's preaching during Israel's decadence. They didn't believe they could fall, so why should they worry about forgiveness? At the very end of the book, at the very end of the book of Amos, there is a brief, brief glimpse of hope, can I say, that God will one day rebuild Israel. But Hosea, as we heard last week from Steve, will go more into the theme of restoration. But by Hosea's day, the cracks in the foundation have become really evident. So let's have a quick look at Hosea again. Hosea, as we found out last week, is most well known for his marriage to a prostitute. But this is one of the most significant books about Israel in the Bible, can I say. Filled with damning details about Israel's failures. Hosea, he began preaching in the last years of Jeroboam II and he died not long before the fall of Samaria. So this means Hosea, he preached during seven kings. Seven kings. More than any other prophet. With all of the assassinations and fleeting alliances, Israel was thrown into extreme political and social chaos. Each wealthy family looking out for its own best interests. One of Hosea's biggest challenges was Israel's ignorance of the law, the whole covenant with Moses, really. What they knew could probably be summarised as this, and I'll put it up on the screen. God forbids idolatry. God requires ethical righteousness. That's it. Hosea. That's probably it. The punishment will come, but there is forgiveness on the other side. Amos and Hosea make it clear that the Israelites' religious failures led to catastrophic moral failures. All this together resulted in God establishing a point of no return. Judgment and destruction, it was coming. Even if they tried to repent at the last second. So here's a question I'd like you to consider. How can religious failures lead to moral and ethical failures? In other words, how would sticking to God's covenant have prevented Israel from these other disastrous decisions? Your answer may hopefully and simply come to something we often say. I've heard myself say it very often. Our relationship with God isn't just for Sunday mornings. Yes, I'm sure you've all said that as well when talking with someone. We might say this, but how does this play out in your life today? How does it play out in your life tomorrow? How does that play out in your life next year? So, here we are in 2 Kings chapter 17. 
Finally, we are introduced to Hoshea in verse 1 of our chapter 17 today. The last king of Israel and his actions that led Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, to destroy Samaria and deport the Israelites into exiles. Turn to your Bibles, if you will. If not, um, the best-looking Bible reader is going to come up and share that with you today. For those online, it is my wife, Rosalind. (laughs) Come on up, Rosalind. The first, uh, we're going to break this Bible reading into three parts. So Rosalind's going to read a part, then I'll have a chat, she'll sit down. She'll read the next bit, have a chat, and she'll sit down, etc. So the first one up on the screen is part one, warned, 2 Kings 17, 7 to 13. Thank you, Rosalind. Starting at verse 7. This disaster came upon the people of Israel because they worshipped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt and had rescued them from the power of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They had followed the practices of the pagan nations the Lord had driven them, had driven from the land ahead of them, as well as the practices of the king of Israel that the king of Israel had introduced. The people of Israel had also secretly done many things that were not pleasing to the Lord their God. They built pagan shrines for themselves in all their towns, from the smallest outpost to the largest wall city. They set up sacred pillars and Asherah poles at the top of every hill and under every green tree. They offered sacrifices on the hilltops, just like the nations the Lord had driven from the land ahead of them. So the people of Israel had done many evil things arousing the Lord's anger. Yes, they worshipped idols, despite the Lord's specific and repeated warnings. Again and again, the Lord had sent his prophets and seers to warn both Israel and Judah, turn from all your evil ways, obey my commands and decrees, the entire Lord, law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I gave you through my servants, the prophets. Thank you, Rosalind. Again and again, they were warned. The writers of First and Second Kings wanted to be very clear why God had punished his people as he had. If the people were going to get a second chance, they needed to make sure they, were, they would not repeat those mistakes. This passage that Rosalind just read to you, this, this section, makes it clear that God warned them time and time again through the prophets. The two books of Kings were written by exiles from the southern kingdom. Those exiles had not only the words of Amos and Hosea, but also ten more prophets God sent to them. God was not being unpredictable or malicious. He warned them time and time again, if you do this, I will do that. And he did. This is why the Pharisees were so strict in Jesus' day as well, because as why... That is why they had so much clout with the people, I believe. No one wanted to go back into exile. Part two, rejected, verses 14 to 17. But the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who had refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and they despised all his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. They followed the example of the nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. 
they rejected all the commands of the Lord their God and made two calves from metal. They set up a natural pole and worshipped Baal and all the forces of heaven. They even sacrificed their own sons and daughters in the fire. They consulted fortune tellers and practiced sorcery and sold themselves to evil, arousing the Lord's anger. This passage says exactly what we would expect it to say. God warned them and they didn't listen. The Israelites didn't care about their religious and societal collapse because they were comfortable. What's the big deal? Do we see this today among Australian Christians, across the world even? What is the remedy to that? Let's go to part three. Removed, verses 18 to 23. Because the Lord was very angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. But even the people of Judah refused to obey the commands of the Lord their God, for they followed the evil practices that Israel had introduced. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel. He punished them by handing them over to their attackers until he had banished Israel from his presence. For when the Lord tore Israel away from the kingdom of David, they chose Jeroboam, son of Nesbat, as their king. But Jeroboam drew Israel away from the following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. And the people of Israel persisted in all the evil ways of Jeroboam. They did not turn from these sins until the Lord finally swept them away from his presence, just as all his prophets had warned. So Israel was exiled from their land to Assyria, where they remain to this day. Thank you, Rosalind. This is the conclusion to Israel's story. And it also gives away the future of Judah, but we're not not going to go there today. They were removed. What happened? What happened next? Exile. To keep their conquered people under control, Assyria would deport the most likely to rebel, ruling families, wealthy people, merchants, in groups all over their empire. Surrounded by unfamiliar territory and people who did not speak their language, the strategy was that they would not be much of a threat. Along the way, they were tortured and terrified, beaten into submission. The Israelites were taken past Babylon to Persia, as far away from home as they could go. However, this very practice led to the demise of Assyria. Eventually, they had deported enough people to enough places that their entire empire was filled with angry exiles. When Babylon began to challenge them, their internal instability was such that they couldn't resist for very long. There's one more part to this, though. Not only did Assyria deport Israelites to the far side of their empire, but they also imported other exiles from other parts of their empire. The Israelite farmers that Assyria left in place were joined by foreign exiles from all over Assyria's empire. Over the next 700 years, they intermarried, adding Greeks and Romans into the mix, becoming the hated, and you know this word, the hated Samaritans of Jesus' day, instigating a racial prejudice. Big picture history this morning. 
So I have some closing thoughts for you today. Today, we are under a new covenant in Jesus. And we are given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Thanks, Andrew, for your, your thoughts this morning around our communion. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ, the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf and brought an end to the law's sacrifices through his own sacrificial death. But back in 722 BC, Israel fell because of, and I've got this underlined in my notes, you can underline it in your head, individuals. Individuals made the wrong decisions repeatedly over generations. Can I say we move to today? Today, 2023, us. As individuals, followers of Jesus, as Christians, where do we point the finger? My question to myself and all of us is simply this. What are we doing to be salt and light in our families, our church life, workplace, schools, community? And what as a follower of Jesus can I focus on? Australia won't face the same covenant punishment that Israel did. But we can still use Israel as a model for where this kind of decline that we've just looked at can lead. I believe that Amos and Hosea are particularly useful. Even, I believe, to those Christians who are out there who don't think that a decline in church attendance or Bible literacy is that big a deal. I believe they should be able to see how things can be connected to societal trends. I heard a quote the other day, and it's absolutely brilliant, I thought. It's quite simple. You don't learn from experience you learn from reflecting on experience. But here's the million-dollar question I have for you today. What are we supposed to do about it? Israel basically had stopped caring what their Bible said and it led them into the kind of moral we see so much of today in Australia and other parts of the world. What are some of the steps we can take to avoid the snare of disobedience to God? All of that, though, comes with a warning. A warning. Disobedience to God is dangerous. So this morning I've given you many, many questions, as you can see up on the screen and throughout the, the message. Given you many questions, but not many answers today. Because I believe they need to be your answers, not mine, your answers, the ones that you come up with in your relationship with God. They are personal answers. So in closing today, I would like to leave you with a video with a message. And I hope it will help you give the answer I asked at the beginning this morning. That first question I had, what happened to Israel and what, two questions, and what is the application for me? So let's have a look.
Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? Yeah. You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Kathleen, guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, I'm kind of one cheek in it here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, okay. so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. I, well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course, but I have a lot going on right now. <laughs> well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, just, I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. I can't. You just did. We're not going to close with a song today. We're going to close with two minutes of silence. But it's not going to be silence in your head. You're going to be talking, I will hope, I encourage you to talk with God to try and identify anywhere in your life as to where you might be sitting a little bit on that stool. Is there something you can completely hand over to our Lord Jesus, that little bit more, to be more like him, so that we can obey his word? To find your answers, and I'll put those questions up back up on the screen that I had before. Maybe that can be part of your thoughts this morning. What can I focus on? What's some of the steps that I can take? So it's going to be very quiet for a little while. And after a few moments, I'll, uh, I'll step up and I'll close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, what was true back in 722 BC is still true today. Disaster comes from worshipping other gods. Show us, Lord, anything in our lives that we value more than you. May we never sell ourselves to evil and forsake your love through Jesus Christ. Be with us, Lord, this day and give us success in our work for your kingdom. For it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Saviour, that we pray. Amen. Go well, be courageous, and think of what that next step is that you can do. Amen.